You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to another breakfast show where you are joined by myself, Tukir Ahmed Tanweer, and Brother Valid here in the Voice of Islam studios. And uh, we have a great uh, lineup for you, for our listeners today. Um, at the first, as our listeners know the agenda of the show, the first 20 minutes to half an hour, we like to run down some of the main news which is happening around the world. And we also like to cover some of the news with regards to the anti Muslim community as well. And then uh, we go into two of our main topics which we discuss uh, so today um, from 7.30 to 8.15 we will be discussing the topic of modesty in early art depiction of Mary uh, peace be upon her and uh, for this uh, segment as well we will also be listening to two very esteemed guests uh, we'll be listening to Reverend Deborah who is the vicar of St. Mary at the Vir- Blessed Virgin uh, Addington and Era Dean of Croydon Addington will be listening to her uh, and we'll also be listening to Shoban Jolie in the in the Howard and Roberta um, Ahmanson Research Fellow in Art and Religion at the Art Gallery a visiting lecture in Religion and Theology at King's College London so do stay tuned in for that and uh, Towards the second segment of the show, um, we'll be going more further into uh, the detail um, of Mary. And the question is, can Mary unite Islam and Christianity? And uh, for this topic, uh, we'll be listening to Dr. Mark Tinsley, who is a um, fiercely Catholic speaker and writer. Uh, So we'll be listening to him. He'll be joining us from USA. Uh, we'll also be listening to Fozia Shah, who is a proofreader, who who was the proofreader of the of the book Revelation, uh, Rationality, Revelation, Truth, and Knowledge, um, and this was the book which was um, written by the fourth Caliph of the Amdiya Muslim Community, Azamizat Tahir Ahmed. May Allah have mercy on him. Uh, she's also currently doing a master's in theology and religious studies. She's written an article on the evidence of herpahothism in vertebrates so we'll also be listening to her uh, and uh, lastly we'll be listening to Dr. Shannon Shah who uh, she is currently a tutor in Islam at the University of London's Divinity Program and Conducts and Research on Minority Religions at King's College London and Dr. Shah is also the Director of Faith for the Climate um, a national charity focusing on collaborative action by faith groups in the UK to address the climate crisis. Uh, so yes, that is the forecast. That is the uh, agenda of the show this morning. But uh, as always, um, a little message for the listeners that uh, you know, do do <clears throat> if you do have any questions you want to ask these guests. We can definitely <coughs> ask on your behalf. You can uh, me- you can call in and let us know. 
by calling us on 0286877878. You can tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK. Or for more information, you can go on our website on www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Um, <clears throat> so do uh, avail and do benefit from that. Um, now uh, I wanted to look at the weather this morning. So the weather, uh, this from BBC Weather, the forecast is that today we'll see largely sunny skies, although a few bands of high cloud might drift in at times, and these might thicken in the afternoon, turning hazy at times. And a hot day, um, it will stay dry. And the forecast for tonight is that tonight will be dry, main, mainly clear skies for all, with just a few bands of high cloud drifting in from the southwest at times, a warm night. So uh, the, the weather is actually looking really great. Um, the highest it will be going up to is 31 today here in London. And I guess it is that perfect bit of sunshine before um, you know the summer ends, so... You know, I think this <laughs> do benefit from that and try to enjoy the sun as much as you can. You know, of myself as well, I've been going out for to the park, uh, you know, early morning jogs. Um, certainly a lot <laughs> harder when the weather's cooler, um, but uh, I think it's uh, it's very vibrant um, going in the morning, going for jogs. So I would encourage that that you know do uh, benefit from the weather maybe go out to the walk, to the park uh, for a walk uh, maybe go to the beach and uh, yeah just just enjoy the the weather um how are you doing this morning brother Vilith? oh yes um i'm not going out for a jog myself um i'm so here um but um doesn't mean i haven't been working out <laughs> <laughs> I think at my age it's uh, always useful uh, to do a bit of exercise because, uh, yeah, um, otherwise everything stagnates. Um, but um, do you think that this is uh, going to be the last of the um, sunny weather we're going to have? You don't think there's going to be more uh, uh, later on in the month? I I hope not. I, I do remember a couple of years back um, when we had uh, the hottest weather in October. Hmm. Uh, that was that was a very long time ago. I think about maybe oh. seven years, eight years ago. We had uh, the weather was really good, very pleasant, even in October. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 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 forecast, just by looking at it, it is showing that uh, next week uh, there will be rain again. But uh, there there are still sunny spells, um, which are still forecasted. So I I don't think this is just the end yet we i think we the still a bit more um sunshine left in the oh. last bit of summer yes uh, <clears throat> because uh, one of the uh, features of global warming um, unfortunately is that um, we are uh, seeing record temperatures and um, september is supposed to be uh, the hottest months uh, for many many years the hottest september for Mm. And since records began, mm. so uh, yes, so this may not be the last of the sunny spells that we're experiencing. Um, and next week, of course, um, the the mosque where uh, from 
where we're um, uh, transmitting from, mm-hmm. is hosting um, the open house. Uh, so this is uh, an event in which uh, the mosque participates in uh, and on uh, uh, an annual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, the open house is uh, organized by a, um, an organization called Open House, which essentially invites uh, people uh, to visit uh, uh, buildings, uh, notable buildings, special buildings in uh, the capital. And uh, in their list, they have uh, the Battle of Two Mosque as well. Um, so we're expecting uh, this. Uh, coming weekend, not today, not tomorrow and the day after, but the weekend after. So this will be running throughout both Saturday and Sunday? Yes, both Saturday and Sunday. And then, uh, uh, yes, and we will also be having uh, various events within it, uh, lectures and uh, uh, discussions. So uh, it is by, uh, you need to contact Mick uh, and uh, arrange your visit. Uh, but it is something that is essentially open to anyone who wants to come. And uh, who will be running it? Will it be from the outreach department? Uh, no, it is from the library services department. Oh, so that's that's your that's your department. That's my baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, so uh, mm. we have been honoured to be uh, helping uh, in that. Do you, do you have any posters for this or any any flyers that? Yes. You uh, could. Uh, yeah, we are, so we probably, uh, yes, so we will be um, distributing flyers in the in very shortly. Uh, and um, But again, you need to contact uh, the uh, the community in order to um, um, come along. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the reason for that is that we don't want any, anyone uh, coming to disrupt the, uh, mm. the event. So oh, okay, it's so it's, it's, a, it's a pre-registered yes, yeah. event. So. Absolutely, okay. yes, 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 to be Okay, so I'll, yeah. I'll be getting some uh, getting some leaflets from you then after this. C- certainly, certainly, uh, but may not be today. May have to be because <laughs> we're still in the process of printing it. So, okay. Um, yeah. okay. So that would be the, so that's one big event that's uh, coming up in uh, the um, the Muslim community. The other big event was um, the um, Dasa Salana in Germany, wasn't there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, did you go? No, I, I didn't get a chance to go, but uh, my family members did, um, uh-huh. and they you know they they really enjoyed it. Mm. Uh, you know, a crowd over seventy five thousand uh, can sometimes get a bit hectic as well, oh, um, right. because there's so many people. I think even going from because you know the, the what the feedback I've gotten is that the place is so big, um, so to maybe go from one end to the other it'll take you a good 20 minutes uh, mm. 20 minutes half an hour just to just to walk so uh, it's it's quite a bit of a walk uh, but I think um, certainly everyone has really enjoyed it uh, you know some of the scenes we saw of the of the uh, members of the community and the love they showed for Khilafat mm-hmm. was uh, absolutely immense mm. and I think this just goes to show that uh, how Allah the Almighty, he puts love in the hearts of the believers for the, you know, for the, for the, for the one that God Almighty himself appoints 
and uh, this love itself you you know you'll you won't find in any other part of the world i mean his holiness i remember reading a quote he himself says that you know which other leader you know you would you find who prays so diligently for his community or who gives so much time to the community as the khalif of the amdiya muslim community and uh, this is what we see uh, in in personification the love which uh, the the khalif has for the community and also the love which the community has for the khalif itself is truly something which you know you you its words cannot describe and this something which must be witnessed by itself uh, i'll give you a little example i mm-hmm. you know do mention this these point quite often as well um uh, i once had a chance to, when i went to mali i went to one of the local villages over there um and uh, the the village itself was very primitive uh, they didn't have any lightings or uh you know any any proper roof it was very very old tin roofs and uh, mud houses um and when I, when i met one of the chiefs and he invited me in in his house he had a picture of the promised messiah peace be upon him and uh, the picture of the khalif and uh, even though he did not speak uh, english with me spoken he had his own local language which is bambara uh, but then I I could see the love and affection he had for the the khalif of the time and the promised messiah and uh, this love itself this is what the god almighty says that he is the one who puts the love in the hearts of the believers so uh, uh, that that's something uh, which I would urge the listeners what well, that do tune in to the coverage of uh, of the annual convention which took place in Germany and do uh, benefit from that Mm. Did you say the attendance was 75,000? Yes. Really? Yes. So more than uh, we are able to muster here. Yeah. Okay. All right. So a very big event. It, it was a very big mm. event. Mm. I can uh, tell you the exact figure mm-hmm. as well of the attendance. Yeah. Um that that figure 75,000 is is interesting in one respect because uh, the first ever Jalsa uh, in Kalyan Uh, attracted only 75 people didn't it mm. and now we are seeing that uh, that same jalsa is being held all over the world in different countries and germany um is hosting not just just 75 but 75000 mm. so um, the the exact figure was that is only in spread out 75237 uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. right we must have had a big uh, jalsa village <laughs> yeah um were you saying that uh, it was uh, very difficult to get from one end to the other end yeah so is it's so big that and you know there's so many people it's uh, it can be it can get easily get overcrowded so mm-hmm. um to walk from one place to the other it can sometimes take you a very long time right um whereas you know if you compare it to the jalsa slana we have in the uk it's it's an open field yes. and you can take multiple pathways to get to where you want to mm. but in a i think closed up building uh, the, even the pathways would be very much limited mm-hmm. so to get to one place to another it will take maybe longer time especially if there's over you know 75000 people so mm. um 
that was that was just a bit of a feedback that mm. I, that I was receiving but uh, you know apart from that uh, from what we saw it looked like a spectacular amazing event mm-hmm. and his holiness was there to to joy of um, um, all the german members because so, his holiness was there really yes and um, something that um, hasn't happened for a few years partly because of covid it's been uh, about i think 4 years uh-huh. yeah after 4 right. years as holiness has right. has visited again to germany very interesting right okay Anything else happening in uh, the community? Was there? We've got um, this uh, youth uh, gathering that's taking place. Is it at the end of this month? Yes. Yeah, so the the um, youth gathering uh, that will be taking place on the twenty eighth, twenty ninth. Sorry, twenty ninth, thirtieth, and first of October. Uh, so do do um benefit from that they they've been promoting uh, different uh, um banners for for the event as well um there's going to be several competitions which have already been highlighted such as the national essay competition observation mm-hmm. competition observation <laughs> it's called ob- observation and sensory competition um and uh, there's there's even a video and poster competition where uh the youth that uh, are good with um videography they can capture good moments then you know create a video and do send it and uh, they will be judged on that as well mm-hmm. so very various competitions which will be taking place i think one initiative which uh, the academics team will be uh, will be initiating is that um in terms of uh, one one thing is that we'll be having our national exam um which is how to be free from sin a book of the promise messiah peace be upon him uh, so we'll, we're going to be making questions out that i think roughly around 30 and if you do top the exam uh, you get a free pass to get burgers and chips. Oh. So, <laughs> so, okay. uh-huh. so uh we we're, we're promoting that we're just in the plans of uh introducing that um but we want to we want to make a few competitions where if you do win it then uh, you can uh, you have one free ticket to the burger burgers and chips and a drink at the uh-huh. bazaar. Okay. So is it just open to uh, m- uh members who are under 40 or can <laughs> can and some who are a bit older <laughs> also participate? Uh, unfortunately, it's only for the members. Oh, I see. Oh dear. Right. So people who are over 40 cannot participate. Uh, you're more than welcome to try to <laughs> <laughs> Okay, right, right. Um what else is happening? Uh <clears throat> one of the um, discussions in my in my household because um as I keep on mentioning that um I've got uh, children who are grown up but uh, they are very uh, football uh, enthusiasts mm. I suppose I should mm. say. So there's a lot of discussion about the Ballon d'Or that's taking place. So this Ballon d'Or is the the trophy that goes to uh, somebody who's considered to be the best has to have been the best player in the season that's just gone so uh, a shortlist has been issued by the 
governing authorities and uh, nominees include well the usual suspects like uh, Leon Messi yes Messi and uh, Kylian Mbappe and Kevin De Bruyne and also I think uh, this is probably the first time um, treble winner Erling Haaland is also now uh, among them uh, but surprisingly it admits uh, there's no place for Cristiano Ronaldo I suppose the um, league that he's now playing for is not considered to be mm. uh, good enough. Um, and as far as English players are concerned, Harry Kane is in there uh, and Bukayo Saka. And I think mm. these are the only two English players that are there. Um, oh, uh, of course, uh, the Real Madrid, um, Real Madrid uh, sensation uh, Jude Be- Bellingham mm. uh, is also uh, in the in the um, offing. Um, and uh, there's a lot of uh, complaints. Uh, Man United supporters are bemoaning the fact that uh, Rashford is not in there. Uh, but some are arguing that he perhaps is not really good enough. And then uh, Barcelona's uh, supporters are saying that uh, their goalkeeper should also have been part of mm-hmm. the uh, 20-man shortlist. But these arguments, I suppose, um, are going to be carrying on in various parts uh, certainly in my household they are. Who's, who's, a, who's a better player with Messi or Ronaldo with Mbappe? Um, the favourite appears to be uh, um, Lionel Messi, um, but he could be picked by um, Erling Haaland, um, some people say, for his record-breaking uh, breaking season. And the other big story with football is um, the issue with uh, Mohamed Salah and the fact that I think it's the Al-Hilal <coughs> football uh, Al-Hilal, yes, club in Saudi Arabia that's offering massive amounts to Liverpool uh, for uh, enticing him away. Um, the latest I heard was 215 million, which is an astronomical yeah. figure. Uh, but uh, despite the uh, amount, it seems that uh, Liverpool have been able to successfully uh, ward off this... Uh, Possibility of him going away is very crucial uh, to their uh, to their team. So it seems that even 250 million pounds is not uh, enough to uh, persuade Liverpool to let go of their uh, star forward. I don't know whether it'll be a good move for him to go. I think it's 31 or something like that. Mm. Uh, and I think he because he's. He's still uh, in such good form. Mm. He has, uh, I think, a lot to achieve in um, in the Premier League, yeah. um, because Saudi itself is uh, is a good league, but it's still compared to the Premier League, it's not as known. No, no, it's not so good at all. this yeah. is a good opportunity mm. for Salah to, you know, his last yeah. remaining years yeah. of his career to just yeah. really perform. Um, so. I think from the from the news as well is saying mm. that he he will be he has rejected the deal mm. and uh, he's going to be staying at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. So I think the uh, transfer window is closed, and so therefore, for a few months at least, until there is another window, uh, Liverpool supporters can breathe a sigh of relief that their starman is not going. Um, but I've also been reliably told that uh, the Saudi league has. Uh, is improving and is likely uh, uh, to be better than what we have with the MLS in the States and uh, the league we have in France. 
So it is because of the number of good players that have actually gone and signed up for the clubs that perform in that league. So it is an up-and-coming league, and it's interesting to see. It will be interesting to see how it develops, especially since the Saudis have also put in a bid for hosting the World Cup in the 2030s, I think. Um, so uh, the um, kingdom is really striving to become one of the hubs for sports mm. uh, in many different ways, mm. not just in football, uh, and to make it uh, more relevant to uh, the people around the world. Uh, so we'll see how it uh, um, how that develops, and of course we'll uh, keep you up to date uh, through. Um, um, our broadcast as well. Um, anyway, it's uh, a time I think that we should move on uh, from covering those kind of stories. I think that a lot of things have happened uh, during this week. Um, <laughs> the most notable thing was uh, this controversy about um, uh, the materials being used, having been used in schools and causing great, uh, uh, great, well, causing some concern, well, great concern and danger to uh, to uh, pupils and therefore schools have been closed. And then there was also the issue about the use of language uh, that um, was con- was described as unbecoming uh, when uh, certain expletives were used by our um, um, by Secretary of State for Education. And then uh, that was uh, also um, um, taken up uh, in the House of Commons when the uh, the uh, spokesman for the SNP also happened to use certain language that uh, was uh, not uh, thought to be uh, conducive to what the how uh, uh, decent people should uh, engage in in conversation and in debate, and just goes to show I think it's quite interesting that uh, we uh, carp on about having. Uh, this freedom, freedom of expression, but uh, and have to recognize that uh, it is not unlimited. There are limits to uh, freedom of expression if we want to preserve decency in society and if we want to preserve peace and harmony in society, then those kinds of limits also extends to uh, being sensitive to the feelings of others, especially when it comes to uh, expressing anything that may be uh, concerning uh, things that are held dear by certain groups of people uh, in terms of religion and the practice of religion and uh, the personalities that certain people hold dear. So I won't belabor the point too much, but I think uh, I hope that uh, people get the message as to what is being um, addressed uh, in this respect. So, uh, moving on, the, as uh, mentioned before, I'm sure, the, the first of our main topics is concerning with uh, the um, issue of modesty, modesty in particular, uh, uh, that has represented Mary. The title of this particular story is Modesty in Early Art Depictions of Mary, Miriam. And uh, um, the uh, the Orkney Island uh, is uh, one of a kind uh, chapel constructed by Italian prisoners of war during the Second uh, World War. 
during uh, that conflict in 1942, 550 Italian prisoners were sent to Lamholm after being captured in North Africa. Italian prisoners had been transported to the island to help construct the Churchill barriers for causeways that intended to block access to Scapa Flow during the war. Uh, the chapel has a painting done by Domenico Cicocetti and uh, um, the um, Domenico Cicocetti uh, Orkney Islands Council. Um, the painter uh, was born uh, and died in Italy while serving the Italian army in North Africa in World War II. He was taken prisoner, sent to the Orkney Island of uh, Lamholm. Uh, to help erect the Churchill uh, barriers, sealing the eastern approaches to Scapa Flow. Um, and uh, every now and then, the color of the robe of uh, this um, artifact uh, uh, may differ, but very rarely do we see a depiction of the Virgin without blue in her clothing. Uh, it is a no-brainer when we see the Virgin Mary is de depicted wearing white, are surrounded by white lilies. White has been an almost universal symbol of purity and innocence for millennia, and lilies are in reference to the Annunciation. Uh, blue, however, is not uh, so universal. A lot of time in the olden days, uh, lapis, a lapis stone was used as a blue color for painting. This was the most expensive kind of stone used at the time, therefore it signifies the high status and as was the respect that uh, is merited by Mary and considered uh, um, by many uh, to be somebody of high status. And uh, um, that is akin to royalty. In many of the religious religions, blue is considered to be a sacred color, particularly because of its rarity, but also because blue was thought to be the color of heaven and represents the divine. Um, and uh, this article that uh, has uh, been part of uh, the research uh, conducted by our um, uh, team looks at the role of Mary in Christianity and the significance of the color with her status and dignity. Mary is often depicted in blue color, which has been, as mentioned before, uh, represents her royal status. And understand, um, uh, yes, you were mentioning in one of her previous programs, that you actually went uh, there on your on your last holiday. Yeah, so um, I had a chance to go to the Orkney Islands and uh, when we did uh, visit uh, one of the churches, um, the, the church which has been mentioned in the article, uh, you can see that the main image within the church is is an image of mary uh, peace be upon her with uh, with jesus as a baby and uh, she, she is uh, you can see that she is fully um wearing the veil um mm. and uh, you know this is something which we wanted to discuss within this program as well and we do have our first uh, guest on as well. Um, if if I could give the mic to you to yes, please uh, So this is Deborah and Deborah. Uh, she's no uh, strangers to the show, has been on the show before. Uh, Vicar of uh, St. Mary the Blessed Virgin Addington and Area Dean of uh, Croydon Addington. So thank you very much for coming on to the show and speaking to us, uh, Reverend Deborah. Great pleasure, as always. 
Thank you very much. Um, in Christian art, uh, um, um, Mary, Mother of Jesus, is often depicted wearing a, a veil. Does this represent, or does this mean that there is a requirement uh, for some kind of a head covering in in Christianity for dis- decent women? Um, and that's an interesting question. Um, I think, however, that, that the depiction of, of Mary in Christian iconography um, as always wearing some form of head covering, I think that's really cultural. Um, and one has to reflect on the culture of the time of Christ um, in which women did, it appears, wear some form of head covering uh, if they were um, of marriageable age um, or indeed married. Um, I think it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that there is a requirement mm. um, for head covering. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think I think it says something cultural, and and of course one can always uh, question the culture as well. Um, I was interestingly talking to my daughter-in-law yesterday, who is a Hebraist, and she was referring to the different words for um, either a virgin or a, a, a woman of marriageable age. I think mm. this stuff has relevance. Um, and of course, as soon as you talk about a virgin, therefore you are talking about you're sexualizing it essentially, aren't you? Yeah. To a woman of marriageable age. Um, yeah. So I don't think there's an absolute requirement, um, but it's interesting to look at how um, how that has been treated throughout uh, throughout the ages. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I can understand when you say that it's cultural, but would you say? And I, I think maybe. A requirement may be too strong a word. Do you think there's an expectation of um, of women uh, in Christianity to having some kind of uh, head covering? Um, particularly because um, I mentioned this because nuns are expected to cover themselves, aren't they? Indeed, and I think this this um, actually goes back really to the writings of Paul um, because he did talk about women. Um, needing to cover their heads and um, also to be silent. Um, so I shouldn't really be talking, should I? Um, <laughs> so, um, which is, is very interesting because I think in that society, from what I understand, um, when Paul was writing, if a woman had her hair down mm. uh, and uncovered, it was implying that she was available as, it mm-hmm. were, as opposed mm-hmm. to being a, a woman who was married and Yes. Okay. Um, so that is, is interesting. And of course, that continued um, down the ages. It's not, I mean, even when I was a child, um, there was some sense in which women were supposed to wear hats in church. But And when I was confirmed, I remember having to wear a veil. Um, but that is no longer a requirement now. And one. Oh. And women wearing hats in church is not frequently uh, a feature although I think although of course if you went to um, Pentecostal churches um, Afro-Caribbean churches you would find that women would be wearing head coverings Um, and you're quite right to say that uh, nuns of course have their head covered with a wimple Um, and again I think that's uh, there's also the sense that that hair that's loose is, is, is an attraction to men, 
Mm. And again, uh, and again, one comes into this whole sexualization aspect of the, the question, um, and whether whether you treat women as um, objects mm. or mm. as or as um, human beings, if I can put it like that. That's a bit yeah. strong, perhaps, but. Um, yeah. It's a really interesting question. Yes, uh, interesting subject. I mean, uh, what is? Um, I've got a note here about Mary-like modesty. What exactly is this concept? I, I was interested by this because I'm not sure that it's a concept that ah. is um, <laughs> that it's a concept that is uh, very prevalent. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, or at least I'm not sure that it's related specifically to the Virgin Mary. Um, one does not, ex- and the whole the word modest is an interesting one as well, because modest is something about if somebody is modest, they don't flaunt themselves, they don't make out that they're better than they are. They um, perhaps um, are. They don't say a lot about their achievements, I suppose. Mm. Um, but there's also modesty in terms of um, covering yourself, not flaunting yourself. Um, I, again, I think that this has changed to a certain extent. extent. Um, when I see people in church, they're, they're not immodest on the whole, um, but I think sometimes people wear, wear things that they wouldn't have worn 50 years ago. Mm. So it's quite interesting the way that, that things change. One thing that I would say is that I'd, I'd rather have somebody in church uh, even if they were not wearing the most modest attire, than than like rather they were there than not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, no, that makes sense. Um, um, yes, um, Imam Tokir, uh, my co-host, is also wanting to say ask a few questions. Uh, good, good morning, Deborah. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. It's it's quite interesting. Um, how you know how you've mentioned that uh, within Christianity, um, women who are married they depicted as to you know wearing uh, some sort of head covering as well i'm quite interested to uh, read from from the bible as well there's a very interesting reference in genesis chapter 24 where there's an encounter between isaac and and rebecca and isaac is meditating um out in the field um and when they both see each other uh, Rebecca, she inquires as to who the man is, and when she finds out it's Isaac, she immediately um, she covers herself with the will. So, indeed, yes, it, it's it's quite interesting to even uh, come across these references, which show that not only Islam encourages, not only Islam teaches modesty, but you will find elements of modesty in every religion, really. Um, I wanted to ask you, what is the Christian teaching in regards to modesty? And do you think there are links to Islam or other religions? Um, I I think that, I mean, I I love that encounter. It's a lovely one, Isaac and Rebecca, and I remember that one well. And of course, that's in the Hebrew scriptures. Mm. Um, So essentially, the... uh, Obviously, that's important to to Christianity as 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 well as sort of finding finding stories, if you like, um, but also to Judaism. Um, and I think there again, you're looking at um, 
you're looking there at, at the sense of marriage and what is appropriate and how what marriage um, ways in which marriage is conducted and, and what it means and how um, yes I mean she puts on a veil because again she's acknowledging that mm. actually this is somebody who is going to be her husband yes. um, so I think Yes, this question of modesty is, is uh, it, it's quite fraught, really, in lots of ways. Um, I think that I think that probably all a lot of religions would would look at the way in which men and women behave. Mm. Um, it, although this does focus specifically on women, and in a sense, I suppose as a as a a 21st century woman who's enjoyed um, you know, good education and all the things that feminism fought for, really. Um, it, it, for, for, for me, it's, it's not, what am I trying to say? Um, it, it's a question of appropriate behavior, but I would not wish to see that Impose specifically on women because I think men also have a have a um, requirement to behave appropriately. Mm. Um, and if you talk about women needing to be modest, are you then saying um, simply they they must not make themselves attractive to to, to men? Are you automatically putting it on that level? Um, and I would be disappointed if that were always the case. Mm. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, no, uh, very well, thanks. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting um, conversation. I, I mean, I think we were just focusing on uh, this particular segment just to mm. look at uh, Mary as well, that, uh, you know, you'll find very earlier images of Mary where, you know, she has been depicted to wear, wear, wear a whale, some sort of whale. Um and uh, you know, you, you, it's not just within Christianity, but you'll see that there are many other religions as well which teach the concept of modesty. So that's what we were just highlighting mm. within within yes. this particular segment. Absolutely, and I think I think what I would say is um, there is not exactly teaching about about modesty. Um, there is an understanding of what is appropriate now as i say life has changed and it is the case that if you were to go into roman catholic churches say in italy or um, mm. probably also in france you would be asked to make sure that your shoulders were not bare mm. for example so um so that that sense of what is a what is appropriate if you're coming to to worship yeah. it, it still exists but it's not as um, ingrained as it used to be, okay. and and I have there are very few people who come to church mm. to my church who mm. wear head coverings. Um, but you were quite right. Pictures of iconography of the Virgin Mary does often show her, or mostly show her with head covering. But as I was saying earlier, um, one would then have to look at the the culture and what what was worn by Middle Eastern women of that, of the time of Christ. Mm, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's been uh, lovely, ha- lovely having you on uh, the performer. Now, before we do, like mm. I think Brother Valid also has a question to ask you. Yeah. Well, one last question, Reverend uh, uh, Debra is: um, Do you think that there is merit? I know you said that uh, is very much cultural to mm-hmm. have adopted uh, the kind of attire that Mary did. But do you think, um, as a concept, that there is merit in that kind of attire? in society rather than uh, having the kind of free-for-all that we have? Or doesn't it matter? Um, sorry, can you, can you repeat that again? So I'm, when I'm, I'm, I'm just, um, uh, uh, what is it, um, looking at uh, what you mentioned earlier about the fact that uh, what Mary was wearing or is, is depicted as wearing is very much cultural. Mm-hmm. And what I was wanting to know from you is, do you think that that kind of cultural um, expectation is uh, is of value? Is it is it better to be adopting that uh, kind of attire in our society rather than the uh, the free for all that we have here? Or doesn't it matter? Um, I. In terms of attire, um, I, I yes, I think the free for all. I, I I understand what you mean by that. Um, well, wearing what you like. Yes, exactly. Yes, mm. yes. Um, I think I think it's I think it's a, a, a choice, isn't it? You know, mm. if I go to mm. church, I I will make sure. Well, obviously, I mm. go dressed as a, as a priest, but. Mm. Um, but if I go to the theatre, there's a particular sort of clothing that I wear. If I go to a party, um, I might wear something different. So if I'm in the garden, I'm going to wear something different. Mm. Um, so I think there's... Um, I, I would hope that people reflect upon what they're wearing um, and that it is appropriate to what they're doing. Um, and I... I Yes, I think the, the free-for-all, it's interesting, because we yeah. have such a concept, don't we, in the, in the current age of yeah. people doing what they like and not infringing uh, liberties. Um, I suppose I, I would talk about appropriate appropriate attire mm-hmm. for particular circumstances. Okay. You know, if, I, if I go, yes, if I, when... Uh, in distant past when I was a teacher there were specific there were expectations as to how you dressed as a teacher mm-hmm. um, because you were it was a serious thing that you were engaged in and you're modeling that um, expectation to your pupils and the same the same thing applies in in, in church really okay now thanks very much uh, thanks for, uh, very much for coming on Thank you best. very much. It's a really interesting subject, and I yes, should be reflecting it on it further. So thank yes, you. so will I. Yes, it is very interesting. Yes. Okay. Um, right. Let's move on. Uh, we have uh, Siobhan Jolly on the line. Siobhan is the research fellow in art and religion at the National Gallery, uh, a visiting lecturer in religions and theology at King's College, uh, London. Uh, so it's very good to have you on the on the line. Thank you very much for coming on, Siobhan. I know that uh, my screen is saying she's on hold. Ah, there. Um, Siobhan, can you hear me? 
Yep, I can hear you. Okay, thank you very much for coming on. Um, uh, we're discussing the, this issue about modesty. Now, for the benefit of listeners, can you, first of all, tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name's Siobhan and I work at the National Gallery in London. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the Howard and Roberta Armenton Research Fellow in Art and Religion, which means that um, I look after our art and religion programming and um, allegedly, hopefully have some useful things to talk about in the depiction of, of Mary this morning. <laughs> Why do you say allegedly? I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yes. Uh, it worked on me. It made me laugh. Anyway, um, uh, in Christian art, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is often depicted wearing a veil. Um, what, what do you think it, this represents? So this is a, a really interesting theme that emerges, and I think Reverend Deborah touched on this a little bit, because certainly in, in the first 1,500 years or so of Christian art, Mary is typically just shown wearing clothes that reflect women in her position in contemporary society or maybe from an earlier but still Christian era. And so we can recognise in in art, for example, the the fashions of of Italy that were contemporary to Raphael and Mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we're thinking about the the Mediterranean region and certainly in in pre-Islamic times, a veil is something that's only worn outdoors, it's worn in public, and its primary meaning, what it's meant to signal to other people, is that a woman is married and that she's free. Mm. So slave women aren't allowed to wear veils in the society, and unmarried women didn't wear veils. So mm-hmm. if Mary is depicted at a time in her life when she's wearing a veil, then it's usually um, after in, in later life, if she's depicted as, as a really young woman, she's often depicted unveiled, and certainly mm-hmm. in, the, in the really early Christian traditions. And then later on, um, the veil becomes the norm in the, the presentation of her. Mm. Do you think that she's also serving as an example to Christian women as to how they should uh, have their clothing or what they should be wearing? Yeah, I mean, certainly because she's being represented in, in a way that is culturally familiar. So the, the clothes might look a little bit outdated to us if we, if we go and look at, um, you know, Gil and Dio's depiction of the, the virgin and child. We, she doesn't look like anyone else who's in the gallery just now. Mm. But for those first viewers, um, that was familiar clothing. So, yeah, in that sense, I do think that it, it sort of sets up a, an example. Okay. Anyway, um, I've got to pass the mic on to my uh, my colleague, um, who also has a few questions, if you don't mind answering yeah. them. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Siobhan. Thank good you morning. for joining us. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, when we're looking at the whale, it's often, uh, when we look at Mary, she the whale is often in blue colour. Is there a reason behind the choice of colour? Yeah, I think you, you kind of alluded to it in your, your introduction to the, the section. Um, that blue across history has been considered a sacred and a valuable colour because it's it's not naturally occurring. Um, So one of the earliest, what we call true blue pigments, is ultramarine, and that's made from uh, lapis lazuli, which is a a semi-precious stone. Um, And at various points in history, it's, it's more expensive than gold. And so... In the gallery, we have this unfinished Michelangelo painting of the Entombment of Christ. Um, one of the popular theories about why it's unfinished 
is that the artist couldn't afford the pigment to do the blue in, in the work. So this is something that's reserved for really significant subjects. It becomes associated with the divine. And so it's not until really the 5th century that it becomes associated with the Virgin Mary. Um, and that's because she is declared Queen of Heaven, spiritual mother, intercessor by the church in 431. And so the, the artists wanting to reflect this new agreed significance in Christianity um, begin to, to use blue to allude to this importance for her. Fantastic. And uh, we are just approaching the eight o'clock news, but before we, uh, I think we can squeeze one more question. Uh, what do you think Mary symbolizes for Christians? Is it hope, modesty, courage, or something else? I mean, Mary has had such a, a diverse significance for Christians and different denominations. Deborah alluded to the fact that in Catholic Christianity, there's maybe a particular reverence for her. But I think all Christian traditions respect her as the mother of God. That's what the Bible teaches. Um, I think she has been used as a figure of hope. She's been a cultural example for women in particular, as a sort of role model to strive towards. I think at times she's been used as this sort of unattainable perfection that makes quite a difficult um, relationship as well. Um, but certainly the, the two themes that you've brought out there, modesty and courage, are, are a real part of that. Um, I think modesty not necessarily in terms of um, dress per se. I, I, it's not as simple as that, I don't think. I think it's a much more complicated idea of being humble before God and that that might reflect cultural ideas around clothing as well. But I think it's her relationship to, to God that is where that, that modest example comes into Christians. Fantastic. Uh, Siobhan Jolly, uh, the research fellow in art and religion at the National Gallery. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and sharing your expertise on the subject. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us and you do, if you do want to get involved in this particular discussion. Uh, or you can tweet to us at uh, Voice of Islam UK. Uh, we are going into the eight o'clock news now, but after the eight o'clock news, we'll be discussing this subject in further detail. <coughs> Peace be upon you. Good morning. Uh, welcome back to the uh, breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with Imam Dukhid Tanvir, myself, Bulid Ahmed. The time is three minutes past eight. It's Friday, the 8th of September 2023. Before the break, we were discussing the uh, topic of modesty and early art depictions of uh, Mary, uh, as Maryam, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, we were fortunate enough to uh, discuss this with. Uh, a couple of experts, one an art expert, and then also Reverend Deborah. Um, and moving on, uh, Imam Tugay, we you were mentioning that uh, perhaps you don't think uh, it's just cultural, that there is more to the the way that uh, Mary was able to, uh, Mary is represented in this uh, cultural de de depiction of her clothing. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we looked at, uh, the example of Rebecca and uh, Isaac and uh, you know as soon as uh, Rebecca finds out that it's Isaac who is on the uh, on the other end she immediately wears it, puts a whale on but if we look at specifically at other parts of the Bible as well in Timothy chapter 2 verse 9 it uh, it 
it says you know that uh, dressing uh, it's the people it says that i also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes and at another place in the new testament in corinthians chapter 11 uh, verses 5 to 6 it says but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her god it is the same as having her head shaved for if a woman does not cover her head she might as well have her head cut off but is it it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved but then she should cover her head so here it's saying that women when they pray they should cover their heads and if they do not do this it is very dishonorable and uh, they should shave their heads instead now this itself it goes into a very extreme uh, as well that you know if if they don't do this then you know they, ultimately they dishonor and they should then shave their heads the islam itself you know it says that like rafidin that there is no compulsion in religion um but what we what the crux of the matter is that even christianity teaches that uh, there there should be some level of modesty and this when it comes to this question of the veil and modesty has always been that the teaching of it has been the teaching of every religion in each age and the quranic even mentions the two women of mosaic time who stood stood one side um and they did not take their animals to drink water and they did so out of modesty in that they would go forward when men would be done so consider chastity a part of faith and that is what uh you know has been taught within islam as well and islam stresses the relationship between the body and the mind and in covering the body one shields the heart from impurities and the ultimate goal of veiling is righteousness of the heart and the purpose of the veil in islam is primarily to inspire modesty in both men and women we read in chapter 24 verse 32 allah the almighty says that in the name of allah the gracious the merciful wa liyadribna bi khumurihna ala juyubihna and they draw their head coverings over their bosoms now this is a plural word bi khumurihna and it's the plural is khumur and the singular is khimar and if we look at this root word as well lane's lexicon it mentions that it's a woman's muffler or a veil which she with which she covers her head and the lower part of her face leaving exposed only the eyes and some part of the nose so we see that the literal meaning of head covering is used uh, in this particular verse and also it's important to note um, that men are first instructed in the holy quran to lower their gaze and this is mentioned in the holy quran in chapter 24 verse 31 where allah the almighty says and say to the believing men that they restrain their eyes and guard their private parts that is pure for them surely allah is well aware of what you do and 
if we look at the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his life, it further illustrates this point. There's a mention that once a beautiful woman approached the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, for some advice on personal matters, and a companion of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he began to stare at her beauty. And on noticing this, the Prophet, he reached his hand backwards and turned the face of his companion away so that he would no longer stare at her. And he didn't criticize her appearance or advise her to dress or behave any differently. It was in fact the behavior of his companion that he tried to change. And then um, women are then admonished in the Holy Quran to cover their heads and to also pull their coverings over their bosoms. And that, that is mentioned as the earlier verse I recited in chapter 24, verse 32. So women, Muslim women, they wear hijabs and loose clothing to fulfill this above commandment mentioned of God. And it encourages them to be modest and not to dress in a manner that attracts men. And the hijab is a protection for Muslim women against unwanted gaze of men. <clears throat> and in chapter 33, verse 60 of the Holy Quran, um, <clears throat> Allah the Almighty says that, O Prophet, tell your wives and your daughters and the women of the believers that they should pull down upon them of their outer cloaks from their from their head covers, from their head heads over their faces. That is more likely that they may be recognized and not molested and Allah is most forgiving and merciful and in light of this instruction some women choose to cover their choose to cover their faces whereas others prefer to cover their heads only leaving their faces uncovered and bare of makeup and both of which are valid interpretations uh, according to various uh, school of Islamic jurisprudence and some cho choose to adopt a compromise between the two by covering their faces when they apply makeup and uh, I wanted to read a abstract as well out of the promised Messiah peace be upon him as well on uh, this particular topic uh, at one place the promised Messiah peace be upon him he says and I quote, As in Europe, people are urging for uncovering. However, most certainly it is not appropriate. This very freedom in women is the root of disobedience and indecency. Just consider the moral state of the countries that have allowed this kind of freedom. If due to their freedom and uncovering their chastity and pity have increased, then we shall concede that we are in the wrong. However, the matter is clear that if man and women are young and there is freedom as well as an absence of parda or the veil, how dangerous their commingling would be. It is in human nature to look covishly uh, and be often over overcome by passion of the self. And even within the parda excesses, happen and disobedience and indecencies committed what would happen where there is freedom so he summarizes it in such a beautiful way that if we look at the western world where the 
this idea of freedom um, is very much widespread. It's actually the core, root cause of disobedience and indecency. And he very beautifully summarizes that uh, you know if we if we come to the conclusion that because of this free of the freedom of uncovering, uh, you know they have increased in chastity and pity, then you know we sh- we shall conclude that we are in the wrong. But quite often, if we look at the figures, uh, they they speak for themselves and they show that within the society it leads more towards immorality so so this this is one quote i wanted to mention another quote of the promised messiah peace be upon the founder of the mdm muslim community and uh, referring to the topic of lowering your gaze he says and i quote that the gospels they forbid looking at women with lust but the holy quran teaches us not to look at them unnecessarily with or without lust for this it is for this is likely to lead us astray should such a need arise we should keep our eyes half shut and avoid staring at them this is the only way to preserve the purity of our hearts those who oppose us might also oppose this teaching because of their newly discovered freedom but experience has already shown that there cannot be a teaching more appropriate listen dear friends no good can come out of free mixing of the sexes and the exchange of lavishous glances while we know that men and women are not free from their carnal passions indeed it amounts to deliberately throwing them into a pit and this from lecture lahore page 26 um and with that i'll conclude the islamic perspective and uh, i'll hand the mic on to to brotherly to start us off with the with the second segment Yes, uh, the second segment, uh, thank you, uh, Imam Sakhir, is uh, uh, not too, too unrelated to what we were already discussing. We're discussing, <coughs> we continue to focus on uh, the personality of uh, Mary, and um, the question we're posing is, can Mary unite Islam and Christianity? And uh, so this uh, part of the program looks at exploring the similarities and differences found in both Islam and Christianity, when it comes to the representation of Mary and how this can unite the two religions, Islam and Christianity, both have very similar perspectives on Mary. How is Mary different to us and Maryam in Islam? Uh, we will be looking at this question uh, and how Mary can be a factor that unifies the two religions. And uh, so there is this article that is being referred to. And uh, there are a number of points that uh, can be mentioned regarding to this. Uh, Jesus, Mary, and the angel Gabriel uh, are all prominent characters in the Holy Quran. Uh, as are Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and a, a, a lot of a host of other uh, biblical characters. Uh, Muslims uh, believe that Jesus, uh, referred to as Isa, Uh, in Arabic was a prophet of God and was born to uh, a virgin uh, and uh, they also believe he will return to us before the day uh, of uh, judgment to restore justice and defeat uh, al-Masih uh, al-Dajjal or the false messiah also known as the antichrist 
Uh, all of this may sound pretty familiar to many Christians. The fact that uh, Muslims know that al-Masih al-Dajjal is the Arabic name for the Antichrist created uh, some unexpected problems for the Netflix recently. Uh, and uh, I don't know what Netflix there. I'm not familiar with uh, this particular um, version of this particular film on Netflix, but I'm sure that that's something that uh, we will learn about uh, in the very near future. Um, and uh, before we continue with what um, this uh, article is mentioning, let's speak to uh, one of our experts, Dr. Mark Tinsley, uh, who's been on uh, our show before. And doc, um, Dr. Mark Tinsley is described as a fiercely Catholic speaker and writer. Thank you very much for coming on to uh, speak to us, uh, uh, Dr. Tinsley. Well, thank you for having me again. Right. Uh, I know I must have asked you this question before, but um, let me ask again. What's so fierce about your speaking and writing? Well, it's it's an intensity um, and a devotion to uh, the, the what the Catholic Church teaches. That's uh, that's where the fiercely comes from. Mm -hmm. Okay, nothing aggressive, nothing violent. Not at all. No. Not at all. Just a, just an intense uh, mm -hmm. intense uh, faith in the church and what the, what they teach. Mm -hmm. So, what what exactly then do you do? I mean, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I, I'm a Catholic speaker. Um, I, I also publish a blog at FiercelyCatholic.com, and I focus on evangelization, catechesis, and apologetics. Uh, I speak to you know, church groups, uh, parish organizations, um, and Catholic conferences. Mm -hmm. um, just, uh, if you don't mind, um, just explain what you mean by cate catechesis. A catechesis is the teaching of the church, the uh, doctrine and the dogma of the Catholic Church. Uh, things found in what we call the catechism. It's a it's a um, list of uh, all of the teachings of the Catholic Church. Okay, and now we are, we are focusing our attention uh, in this part of the program on the uh, personality of Mary. I mean, what is the role of Mary in Christianity? How would you uh, summarize that? Well, that's actually something that's kind of hard to summarize. Um, you know, the um, Mary's role in the church is um, very complex, and something that's a challenge for any anybody who's not Catholic to understand. Simply based on an interview like this, or reading a web page, or even a, a book, um, a better understanding of Mary's role actually comes from experiencing her. Uh, within the, the life of the church. It's, uh, an example would be just as somebody who's not a member of your family might have a difficult time understanding the role of your family matriarch and why she's important. Um, but um, we can talk a little bit about her role. Um, she is a, a daughter of the church. Um, I'm sorry, a daughter of the Father, uh, God the Father. She's a mother of Jesus the Son, and she's a spouse of the Holy Spirit. Um, and as the mother of Jesus, she's also the mother of God. Um, she's the, the first disciple, um, if you think about it. She, she conceived in her mind, even before she conceived in her womb, the idea of Jesus Christ. And when 
she was told that she would conceive, she, um, she gave what we call her fiat, uh, which means let it be done. Um, so Mary cooperated with God, and Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And, and she herself was actually immaculately conceived. Um, she was chosen um, long before she was conceived in her, her mother's womb. Um, she was, if, if you go to the be- very beginning of the, the, the Bible, the very beginning of the Old Testament, um, right after the fall of man, God promised that he would put enmity between the serpent and the woman and between the offspring of the serpent and hers, and uh, that, that, they would, that uh, the offspring would strike at the head of the serpent's offspring while he strikes uh, at his heel. And this is not, when it talks about the woman in Genesis, it's not talking about the woman Eve, it's actually already talking about uh, Mary the woman, and uh, her offspring, who's Jesus. So the, Mary was um, planned and, and prepared by God long before she was ever uh, even conceived in her mother's womb. Mm. Um, so she's clearly a very important figure in uh, Christianity. Would you say that she is a figure that is also worshipped because of... Um, this uh, Hail Mary prayers uh, that we find. Um, do you think that's also something that is current, uh, that uh, she is a figure that merits worship and is worshipped? No, that's, that's actually a common misunderstanding. Um, as, as important as Mary is, she's never worshipped. Uh, mm-hmm. She is venerated. Uh, it's a special type of veneration um, because in, in honouring Mary, we actually honor Jesus. And what the church teaches is um, that there are three types of veneration um, that we, we have. The first and most important type of, worship, of, of veneration is, is the worship of God alone. And the word we use for that is latria. And then there's another type of veneration for the saints, and that, that's called dulia. And in between is, is uh, it's below the worship of God, but above the veneration of the saints. Uh, we call that hyperdulia, and that's this special veneration for Mary. And like I said, this is a common misunderstanding, and I think the problem is when, when people talk to Catholics about Mary and God and the saints— um, they they get an impression that there are the saints, and above that is God. Above the saints is God, and 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 sandwiched in between is Mary. But there's a, a a huge chasm between man and God. God is very far above man and the and the saints, and Mary resides somewhere in between, far above man, but far below God. And so again, she's never to be um, worshipped. And with the, the the prayer, the Hail Mary, um, this is that prayer is strict, strictly scriptural. It comes from the Bible. The fir- first part of the Hail Mary prayer, uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Those are the exact words of the Archangel Gabriel when he appeared to Mary at the Annunciation and told her she was going to have a child. And then the words that follow that, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, these are the words of Mary's relative Elizabeth at the visitation when Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when she felt John the Baptist leap in her womb at the sound of Mary's voice. And then the final part of the Hail Mary, Holy Mary, Mother of God, we're simply asking for Mary's prayers of intercession because she's close to God in heaven, and she's, uh, she's a powerful intercessor, so we always ask for her prayers. So that's what the, uh, the Hail Mary consists of. But again, the, uh, what I want you to understand from that is, again, she, Mary is never to be worshipped. There's a strong veneration, a strong sense of respect and honor, but never worship. Right, that's that's very oh, that's very interesting. Yes, um, uh, my co- my colleague also has a few questions. If you don't mind answering them as well, please. Sure. Uh, good morning, uh, Doctor Tinsley. Thank you for joining us at the Voice of Islam radio station. Good morning. I wanted to ask you: Is Mary only respected because she is the mother of Jesus, or does Christianity teach about her other virtues that make her a role model? Uh, no, actually, Mary is, uh, while she plays a very important role in salvation history and was given a, a special gift uh, as the woman who gave birth to the long-awaited Savior, Jesus, um, and, and you know, we have to remember that Jesus is God, but he's also human, and he has a mother, and there, there is that special relationship, and he, he loved he loves his mother, and she loves him. Um but Mary also did have virtues that make her a role model for us. Um, she, she's the, I said before she was the first disciple, um, but she's also the most perfect disciple. Um, she has, there's an uncommon virtue and holiness with Mary. Uh, she did everything that God asked of her, and she accompanied Jesus throughout his entire ministry. She was at his side for every significant event from his conception and birth, she encouraged his first miracle, and she was at the foot of the cross at his crucifixion. And um, even Jesus lets us know how important Mary's faith and her actions were uh, in addition to her um, relationship with him. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, there's a story where a woman in the crowd uh, shouts to Jesus, uh, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that you nursed on. Um, and Jesus replies, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so what he's saying is Mary is not just important because of the, the familial relationship she has, but because she is, um, because uh, of her, um, because of her faith. And even, and again, at the, at the visitation, Elizabeth, after she said what I said before as part of the Hail Mary, she said, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary shows us that membership in Jesus' kingdom is not just based on a blood uh, relationship or a marriage like kingdoms in the past, but on our faith. Great. Thank you for that. And 
how can mary inspire youngsters in today's society well i think it's important for anybody including youngsters to to remember that they not only have a father in heaven they have a spiritual mother in heaven who's always ready to intercede for them and by her example um, if you think about it, Mary's life was changed. Uh, uh, she, uh, we, we believe that it was likely that Mary had taken a vow of virginity, um, which would have meant that she, had, she was planning on having no children before the events of the Annunciation. Um, and, and again, God sent the angel to let her know she was going to have a child, and she immediately uh, cooperated. So um, we have to be prepared and we can use Mary as a source of inspiration and strength uh, we, because we always have to be ready, uh, ready and willing to listen and welcome God's voice. Um, and so, so because of Mary's devotion to God, um, because she suffered alongside of Jesus, and because she remained faithful to God in spite of all the many challenges in her life, um, we can we can use um, Mary as uh, inspiration. Thank you. And I think just one more question I wanted to get your opinion on as well. We were discussing this in the first segment. Uh, in Christianity, uh, if we look at the art, uh, Mary, she's often depicted as wearing the veil. Um, so, you know, does this represent that there is requirement for head covering in Christianity? What's, what's your view on that? Uh, it's not a requirement, but it is a practice. It, it, it actually was a, a more common practice long ago, but it's actually making a return. Uh, we call it a chapel veil um, or, or a mantilla. Um, it, it, like I said, it's not a requirement, but, but uh, many women who have a strong devotion to Mary um, as well as uh, Jesus um, are starting to, to wear that. And, and Mary's depicted uh, many different ways um, in art, in, 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 in paintings and statues, um, because she has so many different, um, uh, again, devotions dedicated to her. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mark Tinsley, for uh, joining us this morning and uh, sharing your thought on this particular subject. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here, and coincidentally, actually, today is the day we celebrate the birth of Mary, the nativity of Mary on September 8th, so it, it, it was a, a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That, that was interesting, wasn't it, uh, that uh, it's the birth of Mary that we're uh, also uh, covering this particular story on. So, yes, thank you for, for, for that. Anyway, it's uh, uh, Dr. Tinsley. Um, very interesting. Um, we also hope to be joined uh, later on in the course of the program um, by Fozia Shah, who is, among other things, uh, also um, studying for an MA uh, in uh, theology and religious studies at uh, 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 British University. I assume it's Roehampton, um, but we'll ask her when she comes on. Um, so um, we will be, I'm not sure what's happening with uh, uh, my screen. I think that uh, the uh, Fawzi Shah is on hold, but uh, hasn't quite been put through. Ah, the call's been dropped. 
so let's continue with this uh, discussion many months ago yeah so uh, as you were mentioning earlier that uh, for this particular segment we were looking at some of the similarities and differences which is found in both islam and christianity when it comes to the representation of mary and you mentioned um a few uh, i think i'll just carry on from that mm-hmm. um another another commonality is that mary um and in arabic it's thank you and in arabic is called uh, maryam has an entire chapter in the holy quran named for her and the only chapter in the holy quran named for a female figure in fact mary is the only woman to be mentioned by name in the entire quran as noted in as noted in the stu- in the in the study quran and other female figures are identified only by their relation relation to others such as the wife of adam and the mother of Mo- and moses or by their title such as the queen of sheba however mary is mentioned more times in the quran than in the entire new testament of the bible so that that's that's very interesting and another point is that just as they do with all other prophets including muhammad uh, devout muslims recite peace be upon him after every time they refer to jesus by name and muslims also believe that jesus performed miracles the quran discusses several of jesus's miracles including giving sight to the blind healing uh, he- healing uh, many uh, lepers raising the dead and breathing life into clay birds and the story of jesus birth as told in the quran is also the story of his first miracle when he spoke as an infant in the cradle and declared himself to be a prophet of god Right, thank you very much. I think we we do have Fozia Shah on the line. Thank you very much uh, for coming on to the show. Assalamu alaikum, Fozia. Wa alaikum, sorry. Right, so, right, so I'm sorry, uh, I'm, I've got the the wrong details I'm reading. Is it Dr. Shannon Shah? Yes, that's me, sorry. Okay. <laughs> yes, I'm on the line. Wa alaikum, salam. Okay, so, right, sorry for getting uh, the name wrong. I was expecting... Uh, my notes were telling me a different uh, uh, expert was on the line, but uh, you've uh, got a doctorate in uh, sociology and uh, religion from King's College, I understand. Is that right? Yes, that's okay. right. Yes. Um, now, we're talking about Mary, the figure of Mary. What ways do Christians consider Mary to be a role model for them? I think the place in the scriptures where we can see how Mary is a role model for Christians is in Luke's Gospel, because there's the story of the Annunciation, which is most clearly in Matthew's and Luke's Gospel, where the angel Gabriel appears before Mary, or in Luke's Gospel at least, the angel appears before Mary and announces that she's going to bear a child. And she's quite... Uh, She's, she's quite disbelieving about this initially. She's quite afraid. But in the end, she accepts it. And she accepts it with a shout of joy, as it says in the Gospel. And her shout of joy then becomes this song, which is known as the Magnificat, which is the song of Mary. Um, and this is known as her fiat, which is often portrayed in Christian art as her obedience. You know? So she's a role model of obedience. 
who follows the will of God, even though she's afraid. She's a teenager at this point, you know, um, she's in a very marginal place in society, and yet she receives this message and she decides she's going to say yes, she's going to accept it, she's going to be the bearer of this miracle, you know. So in Christian art, she's often portrayed as being very obedient in this role. However, for in other parts of Christian history, um, there's also a very revolutionary potential in the Magnificat because it does talk about things like scattering the proud in their conceit and casting down the mighty from their thrones. So this saying yes of Mary, she knows that this is going to be something quite revolutionary. So this song, the Magnificat, actually gets banned in some territories, like in the British Empire. The Magnificat was actually banned in India because the British authorities, even though they were spreading Christianity, a version of Christianity in India, they were so afraid that the natives in India would take you know, the meaning of this Magnificat and then revolt against the colonial authorities. So there is this idea that this Magnificat is about obedience, but it's also about revolutionary potential. Obedience to who? Obedience to God. Obedience to the will of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're saying that um, the British was were worried that obedience to God was in conflict to uh, obedience to British rule. Yes, uh-huh. yes. I think that's the, that's what the Magnificat tells us. Right. Okay. Uh, so, um, uh, what, what do you think that Mary then represents uh, in Christianity? Summarize that for me, if you can. Yeah, I think if we look at the Roman Catholic and Orthodox traditions, we continue to see apparitions of Mary, and she she does appear to ordinary worshippers within those traditions, even to this day. And those institutions, like the Roman Catholic Church, they have to attest and verify these apparitions. And I think what this tells us is that even within official church structures where you do have a scripture, a codified scripture, you have religious institutions, you have liturgy, there is this continuing and unexpected presence of the feminine divine. So I think in Christianity, she represents this continuing divine feminine presence, right? And she does appear in many different parts of the world. She appears to peasants in Mexico during Spanish imperial rule. So what does that tell us about what Christianity should mean in a context like this. You know, she, her, the, one of her shrines becomes a place of pilgrimage for Muslims and Christians in Ephesus, in Turkey. So she's this bridging figure as well in Christianity between the formal institution and everyday worshippers you know, among Christians and people of other faiths who also celebrate and cherish her. So I think that's what she represents in Christianity. But she does not not represent a figure of worship, or does she? Well, I think that's a point of contention in Christianity. This is why the Protestants are very suspicious of all these kind of devotional acts towards Mary. You know, so the praying of the rosary towards Mary. With the Protestant Reformation, all these things get seen very suspiciously. They don't elevate her in the same way that Roman Catholics and Orthodox Christians do. And Orthodox Christians and Roman Catholics will say, yes, these are devotional acts, 
but they do not take the place of worship of the one true God. But she still occupies this position of, you know, very, very high reverence and veneration for the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches. Okay. Um, Imam Sakir is with me. I mean, he's also wanting to ask uh, one or two questions. Is that okay with you? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Dr. Shannon, that how has Mary been a central figure in Christianity? Well, I think this in, in the New Testament scriptures, this has been a gradual process. Because if we look at when the different parts of the New Testament were written, in the early letters from Paul, she doesn't really appear in them. She's only mentioned in the letter to the Galatians, and she's not named in that letter. So she appears in the four canonized Gospels, but in quite different ways. There's no unanimity. As I mentioned before, in Luke's Gospel, there's a lot of emphasis on her. And this is a Gospel that also emphasizes a lot of social justice teachings, um, and in Matthew as well. It's more ambivalent in John and Mark's Gospel. And we find that as Christianity begins getting institutionalized, um, in the Council of Ephesus, in 431 in the, of the Common Era, this is when a doctrine gets passed that she is recognized as the God-bearer, the Theotokos. So it's an evolving uh, centrality that she plays in Christian orthodoxy. You can see it moving throughout the history of you know, the compilation of the scriptures, the councils, um, and so on. And there are lots of narratives of Mary in the non-canonical Gospels as well, the infancy Gospels of Jesus, um, like the Protevangelium of James. And it is these sorts of stories that I think we hear echoes of in the Quran as well, because they don't appear in the canonical Gospels. So if you just read the canonical Gospels and you read accounts of Mary in the Quran, you think these are two different people, but actually they're not, because these accounts of the Qur'an and Mary appear in other Christian writings as well that have just not been canonized in the official uh, gospel, uh, in the official New Testament. And I, I guess you mentioned the Holy Qur'an as well, so when we do compare the figure of um, the person Mary, peace be upon her, within Islam, how is she an inspiration within Islam, if you can also explain that? Well, I think in Islam, the parallels are, as I said, with her fiat in Luke's gospel when she says yes. There's also this yes that she says in the Quran. I mean, but the, in the Quran, there are different things that she does, right? In the Muslim tradition, um, she prostrates. So instead of a song that she offers, she offers a prostration, right? Um, and also she's someone who's not afraid to complain even after she said yes. So what we have in the Quran is, you know, the passage that I love about her labor pains, you know, when she is giving birth and she's at the date palm and she feels like she can't handle it. And then she gets the message that says, yes, you can. Actually, you can do this. And then she goes through with the labor, right? And gives birth um, to the Prophet Isa, alayhi salam. So I think there are very strong parallels there. And, you know, she, she is someone who has this direct communication with God as well in the Quran, you know, which is very inspirational, I think. And this has led, you know, some Muslims, uh, I know there are Islamic feminist movements who'd like to think that she is actually a prophet. And I know that's very controversial. That's not the traditional mainstream view, but that's her potential as well in Islam. And I think in both Islam and Christianity, she becomes a bridging figure. In Islam, she becomes this bridge between 
you know, this tradition of Islam and what comes before it, Christianity and Judaism. And in Christianity, she's a bridging figure as well, because this song, the Magnificat, is modeled after the song of Hannah in the first book of Samuel in the Hebrew scriptures. So, yes, she, in, in all these traditions, she's also a very important bridging figure historically and socially and culturally. Great. Uh, Dr. Shannon Shah, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning and sharing your expertise on this subject. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. 0208687878. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. And that was uh, Dr. Shannon Shah, who holds a doctorate in uh, sociology of religion from King's College London. And he is currently... Um, Tutor in Islam at the University of London's Divinity Programme and conducts research on minority religions and alternative spiritualities at the Information Network Focus on Religious Movements and a research charity based at King's College London. Uh, Dr. Shah is also the Director of Faith for the Climate, a national charity focusing on collaborative action by faith groups in the UK to address the climate crisis. So thank you for coming on this morning and sharing your expertise on this particular subject. I think it's been a um, great um, great show this morning. We've had a number of guests on. Everyone share, share, has shared their uh, insight and, and uh, expertise on the subject um, on looking at the life of Mary um, and you know we, we've discussed the topic of modesty and how even within the early pictures early art of Mary you know she has been depicted to wear the well so we've explored the subject and we've looked at the uh, life of Mary as well that uh, what de- what does Christianity say with, with regards to her, her life and Certainly when it comes to Islam as when we depict the life of Mary, we see that throughout her life she had devoted her life to, to prayer. Rather, um, we see that the mother of Mary, when she was expecting um, Mary, she had prayed to Allah the Almighty that uh, whatever is in my womb, uh, she should be for the service of the faith. Uh, now the Arabic term which is used in that verse is that is muharran, and the word muharran it means that uh, that particular person would be excluded from all worldly material uh, aspects, and it will be only specifically for the propagation of faith. Um, so that was the prayer that uh, the mother of Mary, Hannah, had made to Allah the Almighty that uh, the child will then throughout her life she her she will be focusing on on uh, the aspect of faith and within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well this prayer of 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 Hannah is often remembered and uh, whenever His Holiness he speaks about the the Bukfinor scheme you know those particular children who serve within the community as well. This is the particular verse that we look at. That it was just as the it was the example of the mother of Mary that she had dedicated her. Um, this is something which 
members of the MD Muslim community instill within themselves as well and they then uh, through with that particular spirit you know they dedicate their children for the service of the faith as well so i just i just wanted to mention that little point so a little brief uh, background into the life of uh, mary peace be upon her in accordance to the holy quran so the holy quran it provides detailed information regarding mary peace be upon her her blessed journey beginning by mentioning her noble background um for example it mentions that allah the almighty says that allah did choose adam and know her and the family of abraham and the family of imran and the above uh, people um and uh, it also mentions the it also mentions the reason why the holy quran mentions the family of imran is to use it as a sort of primable for introducing the story of Mary the mother of Jesus even though he was not a pro- even though he was not a prophet the family of Imran was mentioned alongside the noble prophets and the next following verses they mention in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful a race correlated with another and Allah is all hearing and all knowing and this verse refers that god chose the individuals and families mentioned in the preced in the preceding preceding verse because they all belong to the same stock of good and righteous people and another verse that sheds light on mary belonging to the family of imran it mentions that in the quran that remember when the woman of imran said that my lord i have I have vowed to thee what is in my womb to be dedicated to thy service so do accept it of me verily thou alone art all hearing and all knowing so that's the verse which I was mentioning just earlier so the reference to the family of Imran possibly refers to two persons Imran the father of Mary mother of Jesus and this Imran was the son of of Yoshuaim or armam of the bible who was the son of kohath and the grandson of levi and he was the father of moses aaron maryam and moses being the youngest of the three and it is not certain that he was literally the son of kohath but rather his descendants uh, since they were 10 generations from joseph to joshua Uh, while only four are actually mentioned in uh, in uh, mentioned from levi to moses for the corresponding period moreover the kohathites at the time of the exodus they numbered 8600 which would therefore have been a impossibility impossibility if only two generation had lived and it seems best to regard Armam as a descendant of Kohath and his wife um as a daughter of Levi in the general sense so also theologians such as Matthew Pooley he commented he said that and his wife was the daughter of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth is uh, is added not to signify um the Zacharias obedience to divine law that the high priest only obliged to marry one of his own people 
It is added to show the honorableness of Elizabeth's stock. And Moses Aaron were two governors of Israelites. And Elizabeth, not only of the tribe of Levi, but descended from Aaron, whom God made the noblest families of liberties. And I mentioned earlier that the mother of Mary, she devoted her unborn child to the service. Um, but God Almighty had also accepted her, her prayer. And under the Mosaic law, as a female Mary, she could not serve God as her mother had intended. However, her commitment was accepted. Um, as is mentioned in the Holy Quran, that so her Lord accepted her with a gracious acceptance um, and caused her to grow an excellent growth and made Zachariah her guardian. And as Mary, her father had passed away and people began arguing to take care of her. However, she came under the care of Zachariah who became her legal guardian. So uh, with this, uh, we'll conclude this uh, um, particular Islamic perspective and I'll hand the mic over to Brother Billy to conclude uh, this segment Right, thank you very much yes, uh, it uh, very much uh, brings us to the end of this program doesn't it and uh, um, and uh, I'm sorry we weren't able to speak to Fawzia Shah but I think there was something we weren't able to uh, get the connection right. Um, leaves us to thank those people who have been involved in the production of this uh, broadcast. Uh, the producer was Basida Siddiqui, and the researchers were Aman and Neham and Basma. So they're all uh, worthy of our gratitude. Uh, and uh, let's not forget our engineer making sure that everything technically ran smoothly. That's uh, Muhammad Shafiq. And during the course of the program, we uh, discussed uh, basically the figure of Jesus and her, or not Jesus, the mother of Jesus, uh, Mary, peace be upon her, other than Maryam. Um, uh, may Allah be pleased with her. Um, and uh, in the first part of the program, we looked at the issue of modesty and modesty in early art depictions of uh, of Mary and how that uh, has influenced uh, Christianity. And in the second part of the program, we looked at uh, the figure of Mary and how she can unite Islam and Christianity, uh, especially since there is a great deal of respect accorded to her by both both faiths. Uh, so that's what the uh, main topics were as far as our discussions were concerned. And we were assisted in these discussions by uh, experts, uh, notably Reverend Deborah, um, vicar of uh, St. Mary the Blessed Virgin in Addington. Uh, also, she's the area dean of Croydon in Addington. So uh, we were very grateful uh, to her uh, for coming on, uh, as we are uh, grateful to Siobhan Jolly, the visiting lecturer in religions and theology at the King's College. And then for the second part of the program, where we were discussing how Mary can unite Islam and Christianity, we had the uh, views of uh, the fiercely Catholic speaker, uh, Dr. Mark Tinsley, uh, and uh, he was able to 
lend his expertise to us and uh, opine on uh, this issue about uh, Mary and uh, this in the respect that uh, is held for Mary and was uh, very adamant in uh, mentioning that uh, uh, Mary, as respected as she is, is certainly not uh, a figure for worship, uh, but um, an intercessor uh, between God and man. And then we also had uh, in the as a final contributor, the final expert, we had the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Shannon Shah, uh, currently uh, serving as tutor in Islam at the University of London's Divinity Program. Um, so that was quite interesting. Uh, conversation that we had with uh, Dr. Shah. Um, so uh, thank you uh, to, to them for coming in and uh, improving our understanding of the topics that we're discussing. Um, and uh, thank you to all our listeners for uh, staying the course and, uh, um, and listening to this program. Do join us again from 7 to 9 uh, Monday to Friday when we will be back uh, with the breakfast show as far as uh, Imam Toki and myself are concerned we'll be back on on uh, on Friday but as far as uh, the show is concerned they'll be back on Monday with different uh, presenters 7 o'clock uh, at the breakfast show on Monday so do stay with uh, do make sure that you tune in at that time so until that until we come back again it's Salaam Alaikum for myself and uh, Imam Tukir, and before we get to the nine o'clock news, you'll, there'll be a short interlude. Um, and uh, Assalamu alaikum. <laughs>